it, it takes a lot of courage to be an entrepreneur. And most people don't realize that when you become one, ultimately for the success of the business, you as a person are the one, you're the, you're the backstop who's always going to give up, you know, whatever kind of lifestyle that you're, that you're having in that pursuit of that success. And it doesn't happen overnight. And even if it does happen one night, it, there, you're, you're right to, to equate it to a roller coaster where then the next, the, the, the next month or, you know, or period of time, it's really low. There's, there's amazing highs and amazingly depressing lows in being an entrepreneur. And I think that's something that most people don't appreciate and don't understand. And it's just something you have to get used to. I, uh, so I, I completely understand. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 652. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am thrilled to introduce you to Grant Aldrich. Grant and I have just had a phenomenal pre-chat, and you've heard me say this before, and every time I'm totally telling the truth, but today is an example of positive productivity not being about perfection. It doesn't need to be painful either. Listeners, I just want you to know that whatever you're going through in your life right now, keep your chin up, keep pushing forward. The reason I say this is because this morning we actually had two dead cars in our driveway and we were stuck in our house, but Grant was here to experience both mechanics coming. So Grant, thank you so much. I know this is not like anything about you, but I just want you to know again how much I really appreciate it. But listeners, hey. keep your chin up. Thank you, Kim. And thanks for having me. Grant, I know you have you have kids. You have another one on the way. Oh, by the way, you're welcome. I just need to share. I went to the grocery this past weekend. I only went in to get dinner for the kids because my husband and I were going on an, out on a date, but the grocery had all these awesome sales on meat. And yes, we do eat meat, people. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, please don't hate me. But I wasn't thinking about meals when I was picking up all this meat. I was just thinking, oh my gosh, it's you know, 75, 90% off. I'm just going to get all this meat. It never occurred to me until the second car died and the car insurance wouldn't call back that we don't have anything but meat. <laughs> it's like, great. I got this big roast, but roast by itself. What are you going to do with that? But you, I, I, I realize that so many of us, and maybe you can speak on this, but I, of course I want you to introduce yourself and tell us all what you do. Um, we sometimes assume that we'll, there will be a tomorrow, but we really have to make the most of what we have today. So buy your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good life. Uh, that, that, that's, that's good advice. But Grant, share who you are with the listeners and how you got here. Wow. Well, gosh, how would I would describe that? Well, I am a internet entrepreneur who, after seeing some success, decided that I was on the completely wrong path in wanting to go bigger and wanting to dedicate more time to business and realized that really all I want to do in life is spend time with my family, be happy, and help people. 
And I think mm-hmm. that now that's what defines me as opposed to my prior life before, I guess, really up until three years ago. What were you doing then? You know, prior to that, I, I've been a startup entrepreneur my whole career. So for about 15 years, I had got right out of college, got into startups. Um, I was lucky in that I founded and exited two of them. And I was in uh, you know, various industries, parenting and also in um, uh, healthcare. And after which, you know, once you, as an entrepreneur, you, you see a little bit of success after you've been, you know, eating ramen for eight years and, and, and get a little bit of validation for all of the hard work and, that you've done. I really thought that the thing that was going to make me happy after that would be to go bigger. Mm. I want a bigger exit. I want a company with more employees. I want to make, you know, more money. All of these things that are selfish and so, and, I would say they're trivial, not really important in life. And after which I, I really had a period of introspection, and this was in 2016, where I realized that I didn't want any of it. I just wanted to, uh, my, my, first, my wife became pregnant with our first son, and I realized that I just wanted to be happy. And I wanted to spend time at home. And that if I wanted to go do all those things, it would take away from the things that truly made me happy. And so I, I really completely engineered my life. And I'm still an internet entrepreneur, um, but it doesn't, it, it's, it's a different, far different pursuit in what I'm trying to do. I'm, try, I'm really trying to balance that with my other intellectual pursuits, my commitment to my family, and to, uh, to doing something bigger than myself. I think 2016 was just that year for a lot of entrepreneurs. I got to tell you, it was that year for me too. And I know it was that year for a number of other guests. I had that same realization that year because up until that point, I had been pursuing money. Yeah. And I hit my rock bottom, or I should say the rock bottom of my 30s. I, I hope that is my last rock bottom. Let's just put it that way. But when I woke up from that, I realized, oh my gosh that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like that's when I switched my focus from income to impact. And then it took a couple more years before I realized that both can play with each other very nicely. But the bigger the impact you make, the more money you could make, but that's not why you should do it. In my opinion, like make an impact. The good will follow whatever the good is. Yeah, that's very true. And you know what the, the irony is that I, I actually feel fairly lucky that when I was 18 and um, I, you know, just just becoming of age, my parents were not entrepreneurs. They were um, they were both teachers, and I had the epiphany then that what was really going to make me happy was freedom. You know, freedom to do whatever I want, freedom to explore whatever I want, and that was the goal. But the sad truth is that in my approach, in my pursuit of freedom through my 20s and early 30s, I in fact became a slave. Mm. And I didn't allow myself, you know, this blind pursuit of getting there and the achievement. And it just goes to show how even with the right mindset, you, you need constant vigilance. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you if you don't, it's very easy, as you and I both know, to with you know all of the demands of daily lives and and, and and business to stray from that philosophy and goal. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. So this past weekend was my second weekend in a row. And I would have to say my second weekend ever in the seven years of my business that I was not slave to my email. <laughs> wow. Last weekend, so two weekends in a row or ago, I did not open my email. That was huge and somewhat scary. I mean, Monday was a mess. Let me just put it that way. To, um, this past weekend, I didn't look at it until Sunday night, and that was because I needed to get an email that had a verification code. But it wasn't because I was feeling like a slave, but I totally feel that. I want to touch on two things. Number one, you said your parents were teachers. Were they like K through 12 teachers or collegiate level? No, K through 12. Okay. So I'm curious about freedom because a lot of people, and I think this might be a false assumption on a lot of people's part, is that teachers have a lot of freedom because they have the months off in the summer. Hmm. So what what inspired you to desire freedom? That's very interesting uh, perspective. But, you know, I'll tell you, growing up with two parents who are teachers, um, not just one, but like, you know, the, the you, you, could, you could argue that now all like my entire existence was within um, parents who had teaching careers. It, it isn't one of freedom because at the end of the day, a, a teaching career is just another job. Right. And although the people approach their job often very differently with a, with, you know, a certain enthusiasm for education and helping students, it's still a job. And ultimately, your, your entire life is dictated by showing up in the morning, checking out in the afternoon, and the limited time that you spend with your children. Um, and of course, all the other things that you want to pursue. Right. So they can't, you know, so it's true now that as a teacher, you do get the benefit of much more time than almost any other job. I mean, you're off at 3 p.m., you have a week off in the winter time, summer's off. It's pretty amazing and extraordinary. And that did allow my parents to spend far more time with us than I think if they had a corporate job. But again, at the same time, you know, you don't make the money that you right. would with other jobs to also afford you. Uh, well, other kind. I just have to say though, that with my five kids, there's a reason why I'm not a homeschooling parent. Props to all the homeschooling parents. I don't know how you have the sanity but that you can keep that secret because I'm not interested in finding out. And also, you know, thank you to all the teachers who are handling my children because I don't know how you do it. I mean, a full day <laughs> of my five kids, I love them, but that is enough. Like the weekend, I'm ready for them to go back to school. So I don't know <laughs> how you deal, job. not <laughs> just with my kids, but all the other kids. And I'm, I have good kids. Sometimes they're mouthy, but I have good kids and I know that teachers deal with a whole lot more than mine. And like, and I also know, yes, they might get out at three, but they've also got grading and it's not like they can just stop. So right. no, I totally feel you. I, my other question was that you said you exited two companies and one had to do with parenting, but based upon the years, you weren't a parent yet. So I'd love to know more. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting. So I, I the, the the company in parenting was um, just you know it was a it was a parenting network with baby uh, names. Interestingly enough, because people don't realize that uh, baby names is one of if you if I was to ask someone on the street, you know, what is the number one th 
search term that people look for um, surrounding babies, most often they wouldn't guess it's baby names, but it truly is because that's just something that everybody looks for. Everybody has a very fun experience doing searching online. And so, um, so I, you know, we created a really big platform on that and it uh, went really well. And one of the, one of the fun, actually kind of a funny story. So this was before I had children, but because I was working with a lot of brands and a lot of parenting brands before that, I got to know a lot of the different toys and whatnot. And so one of the ones of course was, uh, that you, you see is Sophie, the giraffe, right? I was downstairs at the time living in, um, I, I lived in a building in uh, like a, like a, a high rise in uh, Nevada and I was downstairs, uh, just in the, the common area meeting with someone. And there was two moms who were sitting next to me and one of their children had Sophie, the giraffe. And I just learned about this because I wasn't a parent at that point, had no idea what it was. And I looked, I said, oh my gosh. And I almost, I interrupted them. I said, oh my gosh, is that Sophie the giraffe? And they both look at me smiling, say, yes. And they said, are, are you a parent? And I said, no. <laughs> and they both <laughs> looked at me like I was insane. Okay. This is embarrassing, but I, the, your, my first thought when you said giraffe was, I was thinking of Toys R Us, but I think that's Jeff. So who's, oh, you're right. who's Sophie? Oh, so yeah. It, Sophie the giraffe is just this... <laughs> It's just this little squeaking teething toy, and mm. it's just to me, it's it's so expensive. You know, for this little giraffe, it's I think it's you know like twenty five dollars. Wow! And uh, and anyhow, it it became very popular, and it's always you know added on people's baby shower lists and whatnot. And so I I'd worked with the company a little bit to do a little advertising, and uh, and anyhow, and so of course, why on earth? Would a mid thirties person who does not have children and I guess know about that? (laughs) (laughs) Sort of creepy. (laughs) Exactly. They gave me a look, and then of course at that point I became self aware and I thought, oh, that really sounded creepy. I'm just going to go now. (laughs) Right. So it's like the peg perigo of teething rings. Yeah, I think that's probably a yeah. That's okay. Um, for all of you non parents, non aunt or uncle, like baby shower gift giver listeners, Peg Perigo is like, and I might be saying the name wrong, um, a car or a stroller or car seat company that, and I could be even saying what they do wrong, but it's like top of the line, like the Mercedes of car seats Hmm. and strollers. Is that fair? Are you familiar with that one? Okay. So, Yeah. Well, interesting. And I have to say, I actually found my middle child's name on a baby naming website. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you think about it, it makes sense because something that is, I mean, we all used to buy books. I remember back in the day when I was um, just a kid stumbling upon in the library, the baby name books that my parents had used to determine our names. And I remember, you know, they're, they're big and you flip through them. And I mean, nowadays, I mean, that is really a perfect example of something that can be applied and accessible online and you don't need to have the physical book for. Where like, for example, if I'm reading one of my other books, um, you know, something or economics or whatever my intellectual interests are, I want the physical book. But when you're just sorting through names and the meanings, it's perfect for online. As of the date of this recording, you are expecting child number three, and I'm not asking for names. Grant, in total disclosure, I don't share the name of my kids anywhere online anymore besides with friends just because I've gotten some death threats. Yes, listeners, Positive Productivity, the host of Positive Productivity has gotten death threats. Um, 
and they named my children. So I just stopped that. But did you use naming websites for any of your kids or did you already have the names figured out? Oh, wow. That is, that is shocking. I mean, one, Kim, how could someone, I mean, you're so likable. I'm shocked that you got death threats, but I think that just speaks to some of the, the sick people we have out there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, oh. um, you know, what's funny is even after creating one, no, I, I didn't. Um, my wife and I, I, cause I share your philosophy on that. We don't talk, we talk, we, we mentioned the names, but we don't show any photos or don't uh-huh. post anything on social media, of the children. And, uh, no, I, I we've just kind of had a few names that have resonated. And my wife is from Israel originally, and she came here when she was in her mid twenties, when we met and, we, when we choose names, we kind of have an, an additional challenge where we have to come up with a name that sort of works in both locales mm. because her family's all still in Israel and we, of course, live here. And so we don't want a name that is completely unpronounceable or foreign to the Israeli culture as well. So, right. Yeah. So, so we've usually, that narrows things down quite a bit, actually. I love that. And it, it probably keeps your children's names more unique over here as well. Maybe not necessarily. I mean, I can think of some names that would work in both quite well, but yeah, yeah, always something interesting to think about. So what do you do now work-wise? So after that period of introspection, I wanted to solve a very big problem and I just kept coming back to education. One, because of my upbringing that we touched on. And two, I had graduated college with an immense amount of student debt. And mind you, it was a lot of debt and I seemingly did everything right to lower that burden. So I went to a state school. I went to UC Irvine, which is um, you know, a top school and also a California state school here, our public school. And I um, had taken an immense amount of AP and community college courses while in high school. So I basically came in as a sophomore and I still left college with an immense amount of debt. And since then, of course, tuition's gone up. It's even changed since I've been in school. So after all that, I, I just kept gravitating that, to that as the main challenge to solve. And so finally, I realized, you know, there is a real, as I began to do more research, there's a real challenge for working adults to go back to school because of the accessibility and the affordability of college. And that was the problem I decided to solve. It was like my mission that I was going to, to work on. And I didn't really know how to do it at first. So it really just evolved over time. And the, the whole idea really crystallized when uh, my wife was then pregnant. We were talking about it and she said, you know, how, and she was kind of lamenting the fact that from her perspective as a, a, a stay-at-home mom, you know, how are stay-at-home moms ever supposed to go back to school? Hmm. Because you know, usually they run the household. They're trying to limit expenses. They, their schedules would never permit them to go to school, to like go visit a campus. They, um, you know, the, 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 the schedule doesn't allow them to like sit down in a classroom for two hours at a time with children. She's like, how are they doing? And I said, you know what? That's genius. What you just, what you just realized is not just a problem for stay at home moms. It's for every working adult. We've all got busy lives. We've all got kids, responsibilities, all kinds of things. And I realized that that was the big problem. And so I created onlinedegree.com where in 60 seconds, anybody can get started taking college level courses online at your own pace. And those courses could earn credit towards your degree at universities across the country. 
And you can also unlock additional discounts to even lower your college uh, costs further. And we do it all for free. Wow. I just want to thank you. Do you, do you know that the reason I became an entrepreneur this round was because my husband went back to school online or he no, started I didn't college know that. online? Yeah. Yeah. So we got married in 2012 and the week after we got married, he lost his fourth job that he had had in a year. He had been doing warehouse and manufacturing work. He's an Air Force veteran and he had a GED, but he never went to school. He never had support to think that he could go to school and pursue his dream. But after he lost that job, I just said to him, I said, you know, I think this is God's kicking your pants that it's time to pursue your dream. Like you're just going to keep on losing your job because that's what he wants. He wants you to go pursue your dream. So yeah, he, he applied and he is now a video game designer and he got his degree in three years. It's a four year wow. degree, but he, he full disclosure, he had the GI bill and the post nine 11 VA benefits and he only had three years left to do it. So he crunched it all down. We needed extra money. So I started my business. That's amazing. And, uh, and so, and after that, uh, it was all online, by the way, what he was doing. All his, online. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, that doesn't surprise me because the reality is, and I'm sure this would, this speaks to that, that situation when you kind of reflect on this, it, it, it's just, it doesn't make sense to go into a campus for someone who's busy or, you know, not the, the best school for that kind of program is not necessarily within driving distance. And finally, in something, you know, video game design is a great program that kind of illustrates that online is actually more conducive to learning than perhaps sitting at a desk in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, when I went to school in 2000, uh, 1997, I graduated high school listeners, you can do the math. Um, <laughs> so I went for interior architecture and while there are interior design programs online, I am very grateful that at that time that really wasn't an option. I mean, I'm sure it was an option, but I didn't see it as an option at that point. Yeah. But I really needed the social aspect as well and being there with my professors who took exacto knives to my models, you know, because that really did thicken my skin. I can get through that. I can get through a lot more. <laughs> I'm still getting through it. But I appreciate, I mean, I'm okay. So I'm 40 and I still have student loan debt. I did not go to a state school. <laughs> Right. So, you know, but I'm thinking forward about my kids. I mean, I have a kid who's going to be a senior next year and he's getting ready to take the ACT and the PSAT now. And I honestly haven't been pushing him that hard about college. I I feel bad for even saying that, but I haven't been. And I love that you brought up that you did AP classes. He's doing that too. But I'm like, maybe that's not the route. You know, I'm going to let him pick his own journey. My parents, it was just always assumed we were going to college. Right. I also want to say though, I appreciate what you're doing also because my stepmother, when my stepsister and I started college in 97 at the same time, she also started college and it was, I've never had a discussion with her about it before, but I'm going to have to go ask now, like, how did you do it? Because we had a brother who was 10 years younger. So he was eight but she was going to a physical campus and I'm sure she was probably working around his school schedule. Wow. How did you get this done? So she started her bachelor's and then she ended up going for her master's and she became a teacher, but she was, um, she was 52 before she started. 
Wow. Good for her. You hear those stories and you just have an immense amount of respect. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you're, and you know, to your, to your point earlier about with your children, I know I've actually had the same realization as well. You know what you want for them. Cause you're right. You and I are the same age. And with our generation, it was just expect, it was just a foregone conclusion that you'd be going to college. And I think that part of the problem that we've been in is yes, perhaps that in some cases for some people that's been over, over prescribed and that a lot of people, should be going to you know trade schools, for example. Like I've been reading, I'm I, I'm a little nerdy in that I really enjoy reading economic journals. And one of the things is that we you know, we've got this huge supply deficit of welders, and they make excellent money, you know, fifty seventy five dollars an hour, you know, sometimes more, and we just don't have enough of them. And so a lot of people who are very talented, that's a very difficult thing to do. I couldn't weld, and they you know a lot of people who are inclined towards that could have gone to trade schools to learn that. But a lot of people are overprescribed higher education. But at the same time, I think that part of that hesitancy that you feel, and let me and tell me if I'm wrong, is that what's really become out of balance is the cost benefit, right? We look at, a, you know, I think everyone would say, well, yeah, college is a great experience, and getting a degree is a great experience, and but at what cost? And that I think has become so out of balance yeah. for so many people. And has led to the crisis we're seeing in student debt, the crisis we're seeing in people not upskilling, not getting the skills they need despite the demand. And that's what I'm trying to put back into balance. Absolutely. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, free. Short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at worksmarternotharderchallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at worksmarternotharderchallenge.com. So I went to the school, the Art Institute of Chicago, which is one of the top art schools in the country. I, I lived in the dorms, which were downtown Chicago, and those alone cost ten thousand a year. Mm. Or no, maybe it was ten thousand a semester. In any case, it was super expensive. Plus, there was tuition, and I was lucky I got a grant. But I, it was still ten thousand a semester. So right away, it's like thirty to forty thousand dollars a year. Yep. Well, I graduated, even from. Even with that being one of the top art schools in the country, and went to Manhattan, and my entry wage was thirty-two thousand. This is two thousand one, where you can hardly live in a closet in New York for thirty-two thousand a year. I mean, the rental agents just laughed me right out. But I'm having to figure out how to, you know, start paying off my student loans pay rent, pay for food. I mean, don't forget food, <laughs> you know, and it, yeah, I don't want to see my kids set themselves up like that. I love, by the way, that you said the welding, um, the welding trade, literally three blocks from my house, there's a welding, welding academy, welding college. <laughs> oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hobart it's called, um, is right in my town and there's houses all throughout my town. Hobart, I believe was a kip kitchen equipment manufacturer for years. They might still be. I mean, they have factories on my town, but I have to say I lived here 15 years and I've never really looked into what they do. 
but they basically built my town. And there are houses all over the town that literally have metal walls. You could put a magnet up to the wall to hmm. hold your papers up. But there's also uh-huh. the downside of rust that comes along with it. I, When it comes to my kids, though, what I was going to say was, like, as long as they're happy, and you and I talked about happiness a bit on the pre-chat, that is my biggest concern. My husband's oldest is a tattoo artist. And she's known that she wanted to be a tattoo artist since she was 15. And now, she, I don't, how old is she? She's like 19 or 20, but she was licensed at 16, which is really young. But it's it's what she wanted to do. So we're like, yeah, do it. You're good at it. Follow your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're right. At the end of the day, that's the only thing that's important. It's the, I've, I've recently... Um, come up with that I'm writing a letter to my children, you know, and in, in the letter is like this document being a, a compendium would be too far, but you know, a, a, a collection of wisdom through my life that hopefully that will serve them one day. And one of the key things, of course, the the main thing that we can all all relate with in terms of um, enjoying our lives is that it's happiness. And so you're right for her. If that's, if, if being a tattoo artist means, you know, is that, if that equates to happiness for her, well, Wow. Fantastic. Absolutely. The only thing we asked her not to do, or my husband asked her not to do, was tattoo her face. (laughs) So she tattooed her face. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he and I are both rebellious too. Listeners, I don't know if you know, but I have tattoos. So, like, a lot of people would look at me and think, oh, she doesn't have any tattoos. Yep, I do. And I'm waiting to get more. Um, I love that you brought up earlier as well about ramen. So last week, you know, the, I, I would love to know that your entrepreneurial journey has been different from mine, but we have ridden the roller coaster and some of those rides have been very much self-induced, although I didn't see it at the time. And I was talking to my husband last week or the week before, and I said, when we get off this roller coaster, I don't care if I ever see another hot dog again in my whole life. <laughs> I never want to see another hot dog. He's like, but I like hot dogs. I said, I don't care. I, I don't want to eat another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm with you. And I think that, because I think what you're talking about is that it, it takes a lot of courage to be an entrepreneur. And most people don't realize that when you become one, ultimately, for the success of the business, you as a person are the one, you're the, you're the backstop who's always going to give up, you know, whatever kind of lifestyle that you're, that you're having in that pursuit of that success. And it doesn't happen overnight. And even if it does happen one night, it there, you're, you're right to, to equate it to a roller coaster where then the next, the, the, the next month or, you know, or period of time, it's really low. There's, there's amazing highs and amazingly depressing lows mm-hmm. in being an entrepreneur. And I think that's something that most people don't, appreciate and don't understand. And it's just something you have to get used to. I, uh, so I, I completely understand. Have you seen any uh, strategies over your time as an entrepreneur that would he- help avoid the lows more? And I yeah. have thoughts, but I would love to know yours. Yeah, I actually, I have. So I think the first thing is that you have to, from the very beginning, choose the right business. And and by choosing the right business is that knowing yourself. So when you, you know, as part of the, you know, most entrepreneurs, 
are very good at coming up with business ideas. Uh, it's part of the exercise. It's fun. But you know, you can only choose one. And so you have to ultimately decide on what's the best idea that you're going to pursue. But what's the rubric that you use to determine what that best idea is? And a lot of times people look at it solely um, because of maybe some financial or solely because uh, you know there's like a cool factor. But whatever that is, you have to know yourself and know your personal situation to really say, is this idea going to give me X kind of lows? Because lows could be financial lows. It could be um, depressive lows because you're not getting enough clients or you know whatever that is. And you really have to be realistic with yourself in that. So I think that's a big part of it is to really know yourself and know the business. Does that match this business model and what you know, turmoil is coming ahead? And then I think the second thing is just to realize that it is going to come is it is going to arrive. And so I think this also talks about a lot of things that you talk about your on your podcast is that you have to build certain systems that um, in anticipation of those lows. So and I mean that in that certain systems that you have to minimize your costs, you have to just you, you you've got to be very, very mindful of your costs personally on the business, I think, to make sure that you don't run into a situation where it creates undue stress on you. You need to create systems that don't demand a lot of your time so that you can, if you, there is a stressful moment, you're not so bogged down in the details of maintaining this, you know, this, this um, you know, crazy system. And you're not able to, to come up with creative solutions on how to persevere out of it. So oh, I think right. it's really can I interrupt you on that? Sure. What's one system that has been a saving grace for you? Wow. Okay. I can actually, I think, I think a couple pop into my head. Um, one system is the, the way that I built, it was, was baking in the system to the cake. So for example, I'm a huge fan of WordPress and I love WordPress and mm-hmm. I, I, and so much so that I think that almost in every case you can build a, a your business on that platform and save you so much time and heartache. Unless you're doing something that's completely new and different, which very few people really are. And so, for example, in that case, I was able to architect WordPress so that it was almost completely automated for our business. It was, um, you know, lots of plugins and things to access. And so by doing so, by choosing that route, I lowered all of the costs. I was able to bring in and utilize things that and support that was readily accessible rather than being this custom system that every time something breaks, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a huge stressful endeavor. So I think that would be one, I guess you could call it a system that I chose that is just, I'm just so thankful for. Oh, I love that. So my first website that I built was through GoDaddy and everybody starts somewhere and it was their website in a weekend. And that served me well for a while. But then, yeah, when I started learning WordPress, life changer. And all my sites, all my programs, my membership site, everything is all in WordPress. And I love it. And I work with clients in marketing automation. They're using things like Thinkific and Kajabi. And those are great tools too. But I'm just loving the flexibility and being able to do it my own way. And there's always a plugin for whatever I need. So I love that. My, my saving grace for systems has been QuickBooks. Both of my parents were accounting or accountants, and that was like the last thing that I ever wanted to do. And I can't stand bookkeeping or accounting, 
but QuickBooks just makes it so easy for me. And this is, no, this episode is not sponsored by QuickBooks, but (laughs) I mean, the fact that I can set up rules in my account and that it automatically classifies whatever transaction, like let's just say Infusionsoft charges my card for my monthly subscription, QuickBooks sees it. They know what category to put it into and they automatically reconcile it. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> end of year taxes, so much better because I was originally doing it in Google Sheets. Every year I would enter every single transaction into a Google Sheet and they have to do it wow. that way. And I was like, oh, this is painful. Should I have hired somebody? Yes. Should I still hire somebody? Yes. But in the meantime, QuickBooks makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I mean, that's another great example. And, uh, actually kind of funny. You mentioned Kajabi. So I actually know the Kajabi guys because they, um, uh, we had a mutual, a bunch of mutual friends and their office was right next to my previous office. And, uh, yeah, so just kind of small world. <laughs> yeah, it is such a great system and I love it, especially for clients who aren't so technologically savvy. They can go in there and they can load their stuff and they can get it out you know, as fast as they want to get it out because a lot of my clients have ideas just like me. Are you an idea generator too? Oh yeah. I mean, and again, I think that's speaks to the fact that we're entrepreneurs. I think that's Mm -hmm. just part of it, right? You're because you're an idea person, you gravitate towards becoming an entrepreneur to then realize that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I actually have to give the disclaimer to new clients or to prospects. If just so you know, I have chronic idea disorder. So if you don't want to hear ideas, you just need to let me know. <laughs> but if they if they tell me that, then they're most likely not the person I want to be working with anyway. So, oh. and that's what's helped me like start moving the bottom of the roller coaster up is knowing who is the right person for me to be working with and who is not. And also understanding, standing, let me try that again, understanding the value I provide to clients and having the confidence to voice that value and to expect compensation accordingly. Well, that's actually interesting what you just said, because that I think shows a lot of knowing yourself and also then applying that with a series of litmus tests to identify who's going to be the right. Cause it's very difficult mm-hmm. to know in the very beginning, whether or not a client is going to be conducive to you know, your philosophy, your style, um, all those things. So I think that's really interesting. Oh yeah. It was an evolution because at first I was saying yes to everybody. And then when I had that, you know, that life-changing moment in 2016, I realized, okay, my ideal clients are business and life coaches. But then even after that discovery was made, I realized, okay, there listeners, you may be an outlier for this, but I realized that even in the coaching realm, people who are really struggling to make it are often a lot more difficult to work with. And I really want clients who are already somewhat comfortable, but they trust my recommendations and allow me to sort of go with what I have seen is working and just go with it. And I I love that. And I'm finding them when you put it out there that that's who you want, you can find them so much easier. But like you said, knowing and making that discovery and evolving like that, it, it takes time. It was not overnight. And it took me four years to, as I said, to decide that I, you know, coaches were who I wanted to work with. But it, it wasn't just till this year that I realized, you know, the level of coach. So what are you most excited about? And this episode is not going out for a couple of months. So I know that there's going to be a life change, but I want it to stay evergreen. What are you most excited about in the road ahead? for you, your family, and your business? 
Yeah, I think that, you know, after being, you know, I'll start with the business. Um, you know, I think with the business, we're, we're at a tipping point that we've now started to see such a great result with the student outcomes and with on the platform. And, and um, you know, we're, we've gotten a lot of great press with Forbes inside higher ed. We've seen just an immense um, adoption by students with thousands being added every month with very little marketing at all. And also a great adoption with the universities. You know, um, we've just got many, many partners who are articulating with our courses, providing our students discounts to make it just very easy and cost effective for um, people to go back to school and save a lot of money and time. And so with those three things, it, it's, it's, those are really the markers that I'm using for success. And I think that now we, we launched in July of 18, so it's been a little over a year, that has just begun to accelerate. And so to me, that's really exciting to see and that we're, we're really at the tipping point of, you know, uh, rapid growth. And I, I just love it because, you know, it's one of those things where I get to skip to work every day, knowing that when everyone's interests are aligned, if, if more people are going back to school and the universities are getting the students they want, um, well, everybody wins. And, you know, uh, Anyway, that's that's kind of what I enjoy. And so personally, I have a my I do have a son. Uh, it's on the way and uh, should be born uh, in the you know, sometime in December. So that's obviously really exciting for my family and I. And um, so yeah, a lot of really neat things to come. You touched on a couple really interesting things, and I I, I have two last questions before we wrap up. But the first is, you said earlier that you don't charge. How do you generate income in your business then? Yeah, great question. I realized from the get-go it had to be free. And that because to get really the main challenge of why there are 35 to, you know, estimated 40 million adults who are not taking that first step, who are who have, you know, high demand for new skills is because it, there's a range of impediments that are stopping them from jumping into this very scary pool called higher education. One of which is, you know, psychological, you know, going back to a classroom after a period of time is very scary. You know, can I be successful in a classroom? You know, all the things that you, your husband also probably dealt with where he was thinking of, you know, why he never, why he kind of delayed, right? Those are normal. These are normal things Mm -hmm. and real. Then you've got the financial impediment, which is that, well, yeah, again, to jump in that pool, I have to take out student loans. It's a really big jump. So, you know, our process is something where to solve all that is to let people wade into the pool. Hey, get started for free. Start taking classes. Uh, Experience what it's like. Start researching schools and in a very low pressure environment to make that right decision for you. So I knew it had to be free to really scale and make the platform as big as possible. And then of course, if you have a lot of scale, you can then get the best result with the universities as well. But to do that, you have to dispense with the tuition model. And the tuition model is, of course, the gold standard to pay for things. I said, well, no, I want to dispense with it. So what I came up with was to do that was to make it completely paid for by the universities. Love and, it. Yeah. And the reason is, is because so it's free for students. You can come on. Everything's free. And for the universities, they get a huge benefit as well. Because in addition to the consumers getting a big benefit, universities are always looking for good students who've proven that they can be successful online, who are determined to finish their program. And for them, it's a big win. Like, you know, one of those, we've always heard that ad, you know, that, uh, you know, if, if, student go, if you go to a community college, uh, you're more likely to get into a school. 
And that's because the universities, again, they're able to point to the fact, oh, this person's been successful in that environment. Mm -hmm. Well, the same applies here. And they're very eager to reach the students on our platform. And so through sponsorships and advertising, all of this, we've made it possible to keep it free for the students supported by the universities. That's brilliant. I love it. One of the programs that I went through in 2018 was, uh, oh, I can't remember, Marissa Murti, and I can never say her last name either. Listeners, it will be in the show show notes, Murtigard, I can't Murgatroyd. There we go. I finally got it. Um, Experience product masterclass or something like that. But part of the whole foundation of this program is that when people are signing up for online courses these days, there's only like 3%. And I'm talking about in the entrepreneurial space, 3% are actually finishing the programs that they sign up for. So this whole concept, like I'm curious to see how universities, yes, we get grades, but even in my husband's program, he saw so many people who just dropped, they stopped doing the work, but how are we, yes, there's a degree at the end, but how are we incentivizing and keeping people like super, keeping them, I'm just going to say gamifying it. Mm -hmm. Like I would love to see how that happens in the future because I think it's, people need those exterior motivations outside of the degree. Oh, a hundred percent. I think, yeah, you know, um, it is everything you just described is true. That's a, that's one of the known and not often spoken about problems with distance education or online learning is that there's a much higher dropout rate. And it makes sense because you're, you're basically now taking an adult who is, you know, has immense amount of responsibility, interests, very little time, and you're expecting them to be com- completely own their schedule and to persist through a program with no, you know, no campus or physical support that you would typically get at a university or going into a classroom. And so while online education is so innovative and so disruptive in it, and it's that it provides access to education, no matter where you are and what your schedule is, it comes with the price of responsibility and that you have to try, you have to be able to be self-disciplined to stick through it. And not everybody, I mean, we're all, we all lack self-discipline to a certain extent, some more than others. And so these things that you're speaking about, like gamification and whatnot, those things really do help. And that's something that really has to be baked into the cake to help people get through this. And, and, and it should be just like anything, you know, you want to have those systems in place to nudge people along to finish what they're doing, just like anything in life. Yeah, absolutely. I have an accountability partner in my business. She's not physically in my business, but you know, she owns her own business and we keep each other accountable. So I'm going to, it's going to be interesting to watch my son start college in a couple of years to see what his experience is compared to his dad or me or even my husband. But Grant, this has been amazing since second one of the pre-chat and I mean they're right there I mean there's a relevant example of how we can easily get distracted I mean I had the random car mechanic people show up at my driveway I mean that if I were studying online that could have easily just you know taken me off track for the entire day but thank you so much for everything that you do everything that you're working towards and just being the person that you are where can listeners find you online connect and get to know more about about what you do well, Kim, thank you again for having me. This has been a real treat and I've been looking forward to this just because of how you know similar our stories are and how much I, I love your podcast. And um, 
So yeah, for you know, for listeners, uh, you know, LinkedIn is a really great way to connect with me. I'm very active on LinkedIn, and uh, you can just Google or just you know search my name. And then of course, so the website itself is just onlinedegree.com, and uh, you can learn more about what we're doing and the project, and uh, maybe even you know uh, applies for if someone wants to take courses and get started. I've been saying on my podcast since day one that people need to recognize their LinkedIn, you know, whatever their job title is on LinkedIn, but where I've been telling them they need to fix it, which is looking for opportunity or unemployed. That's probably the people that you are looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much again. Do you have a parting piece of advice or golden nugget that you can leave with the listeners? I do. I think I would leave the, um, with, making sure that you always ask yourself or, or you follow the maxim of know thyself, you know, really that's, that has, that has been my latest Renaissance the last few years is to really apply that to my own life. And I can't even begin to describe the benefits I've gotten from that. And the, and, and, you know, just like, as we spoke about before the, the, the heartaches, it will save you from when you're creating your business. If you really know yourself, um, you can get ahead of so much that uh, will make you unhappy as you move forward. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.